In some schools across America, face-to-face instruction is back. The pandemic has compromised the education of young people from coast to coast and in the U.S. territories. The same scenario is being played out in other countries, too. Some are concerned. Some are encouraged. There are places in the world where schools have remained closed. Plenty of changes. Plenty of new norms on campus. We look at this issue on That's It, That's All. You are listening to That's It, That's All with Sean Gamatato. That's It, That's All with Sean Gumatauta was brought to you by Get LLC. They provide consulting services and specialty construction materials and supplies in Guam and Micronesia. Need help on a business plan? Need help with advice on retrofitting your facility to be more energy efficient? A good resource is their website at get-guam.com. Check them out. The input so far on That's It, That's All has been so encouraging. We continue to work on the podcast and we will be making some improvements down the road to include interviews, yes, with folks near and far. Again, if you're driving around the island from Jigo to Mariso or maybe driving the highways of Lansing, Michigan or Creststone, Colorado, we're glad the podcast can keep you company and keep you listening. Don't forget to share with your friends and family and drop us a line to tell us how we're doing. When 2021 started, so too was the excitement of the prospect of tens of thousands of school children returning to their campuses for traditional classroom instruction impacted by COVID-19. Learning in the virtual classroom has been effective in many cases since schools worldwide kicked off emergency remote teaching in the spring of last year. Educators used the public health emergency to bring the education of school children into the 21st century if they were not there already. Believe it or not, in America, Not every household has been able to accommodate such online learning as poverty and access to technology has and remains problematic. Even teachers, especially those senior educators in our school systems, have and continue to struggle with the new way of teaching. For many of them, the current delivery of courses is a far cry from the use of the blackboard, books, pencils, and paper, which was replaced by Google Classroom, Zoom, and other learning management systems. Where are we then? Before we can talk up the return of face-to-face instruction, the cases of COVID-19 hospitalization and community spread remain top of mind. Coronavirus cases in the U.S. are either up or down, depending on the state. As of this podcast, America has reached 24 million SARS-CoV-2 infections, 400,000 deaths, and hospital surge capacity has been reached a second or third time, nearly a year since the first case was reported by the World Health Organization. Over the past couple of weeks, a glimmer of hope for school kids and parents fatigued by online learning. School districts nationwide are working overtime to get back to some sense of normal. But challenges beyond their control in the ongoing health emergency still remain. There are school systems that have gone back to -to face-to-face, but many have resisted in areas where cases and health resources are challenged. The governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, this week encouraged school districts in the state to work toward bringing elementary school students back to class as long as COVID-19 rates continue to decline. The Evergreen State has more than 50% of their students learning through some kind of hybrid online and in-person method already. In Chicago, Illinois, teachers there say they feel unsafe as the coronavirus pandemic continues, while city officials have said reopening schools is safe and will help students, 
even though the bulk of district parents are opting to keep their children at home. The U.S. Virgin Islands Education Department revealed last week that the launch of its hybrid learning model has been pushed back due to delays in getting equipment needed for the learning process, as well as a spike in coronavirus cases in the VI following the holiday season. These are just three examples of educators and policymakers scrambling to ensure the safe return of students to the classroom. Mask wearing is required in our American schools. Social distancing provisions in schools and the requisite training is mostly complete. The decision on delivery of education is mostly complete by school boards and policymakers. Their goals have and will always be having students physically present in school. We will continue our look at this issue a bit more in depth and my two cents as a parent of school-age kids in an American school system as the podcast continues after a short break. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business-specific needs. A new national study says that it appears safe to reopen schools for in-person instruction in counties with lower rates of COVID-19 hospitalizations. The study, conducted by the National Center for Research on Education, Access, and Choice, is the first of its kind to analyze data from all U.S. counties. As a gauge for safely reopening schools, researchers used a threshold of 36 to 44 new hospitalizations per 100,000 people per week. As of mid-December, 58% of all counties in the U.S. fell under the hospitalization threshold to qualify for safe reopening. That's according to the study. While While closing school buildings has been a reasonable reaction to an uncertain and fluid pandemic, The school closures are likely to compound the social and economic crisis in the short term and the long term. That according to the authors of this study. And as we try to grapple with the possible health costs of reopening schools, it is also important to consider the health and other costs to keep them closed. So I guess for us in this podcast, let's talk about that 58% safe. And you know, when we look at the number, 58%, that's that's not too bad considering there's been uh, schools that have been remaining open and trying to do their best since, uh, well, uh, right after the end of the summer. But when we think of SAFE, they've done everything that they possibly can, you know, the uh, ensuring that all of their teachers are trained, uh, getting the kids at minimum and the teachers to wear uh, masks, the idea of social distancing. In some school districts, they put the uh, sneeze guards all over these uh, desks, which and on obviously the teacher's desk, which makes the classroom look a little bit different than what we've uh, normally uh, used to seeing. And also, uh, as important as that is, the idea of washing hands. Man, I I, I think uh, some school districts, including ours here uh, in the U.S. territory, have have even put sinks in classrooms or right outside of classrooms as a as a method to ensure that there's you know access to uh, soap and water. And then obviously uh, training the kids up to make sure that they're uh, also doing that as well. And then another important point from that study uh, by the National Center for Research on Education, Access, and Choice is this idea that counties decide. You know, um, I have a family that live in California, and I have pretty much have family that live all across the country. But it, uh, importantly would be, let's say, Alameda County and Contra Costa County in the Bay Area, Bay Area in California 
their their schools are still closed. I mean, and they're they're dealing with uh, uh, uptick in cases. Obviously, uh, with uh, the New Year's holiday uh, already complete, uh, cases are beginning to uh, rise, not just in those counties, but all across the state. But when we think about counties deciding, that is where policymakers. Uh, and uh, working with the health departments are, are doing their best to try to ensure that, hey, are they ready to go back? Are they doing their best to have the resources to, to address maybe an infection in schools? But at least, uh, you know, according to the study, that the counties are deciding. And uh, at, at times, policymakers kind of get all wrapped up that they want to control everything. But for most part, I've seen some uh, uh, county supervisors in in Central California, you know, they're they're questioning resources, questioning whether or not, um, uh, you know, uh, is the state doing their best? But they're uh, now kind of pushing back on the state uh, to say, hey, listen, we we have this under control. We're going to go based on the science and based on our uh, public health uh, authorities. And then finally, uh, costs. When we think of costs, uh, most of the states have seen. And the territories have seen an uh, you know an uptick in federal assistance. Obviously, I think the CARES Act and News on CARES Act uh, funding is is no there's no question that's happening. Um, I know that uh, with the uh, inauguration of the new president, uh, President Joe Biden, uh, swearing in, uh, there's been a recommitment uh, to by him and the Congress to kind of give more money back into states and localities. But cost, I mean, it, it's it goes down to uh, state. Uh, school uh, school districts, county school districts, they're looking at those costs and ensuring that their schools have all the resources that they need to take care of, well, their kids. You know, and they look at the science, they're looking at the, what they have, and obviously they're going to be reaching back. But when we think of costs, let's try not to think of it as so much the monetary, uh, the idea of it being a monetary. Think about the cost of, uh, to families. Um, they're, uh, they're trying to get those kids back in school. Their families are trying to, you know, get back to work in some cases. Um, I was watching an, uh, a, uh, a news story uh, in uh, on Cron. Uh, this is the Cron app. This is KRON in the, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. There was uh, some parents who were just like, they're struggling uh, because, you know, if the schools decide and then they close, they just can't, um, well, one, they just can't keep up. They're just fatigued all the time, um, having to manage uh, the kids, have to manage the internet, have to manage all of the things that uh, at times we seem to have taken for granted, that those, uh, those important school workers who take care of our kids each and every day during the, uh, the school year. But the costs, uh, they're going to rise and it uh, doesn't seem like it's going to uh, tail off anytime soon. Also, uh, the director for the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation, Dr. Terry Stoops, he said recently that scientists agree, it's a quote, scientists agree that school reopening is safe and critical for the well-being of children. Uh, also, he said, uh, he told this to the Carolina Journal, this is in uh, on the East Coast, uh, school board members who have voted to keep public schools closed are ignoring the scientific consensus on school reopening. Instead, they are listening to a small number of outspoken, mostly teacher union affiliated fear mongers that express shockingly little regard for the needs of children and families. So when uh, Dr. Stoops is saying, hey, um, school reopening is safe, it is critical for the well-being of kids. Hey, you know, that's one of the things that's kind of been lost recently is, 
is uh, policymakers uh, are not listening to um, to the science. And uh, even uh, here at home, uh, the uh, there are folks who are are taking a, a a more concerted effort to listen to doctors, listen to pediatricians. Uh, you know the the pediatricians uh, across America. They are all talking. They're all reading, which I think in one of the podcasts we mentioned earlier a, a bit uh, a bit about this before about how that these guys are, are taking more time to understand more about the, the the virus itself, the coronavirus itself. Learn more about the vaccines, the effects of drugs to uh, treating people. So it, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they are in fact, um, you know, taking this seriously. So we have to do a better job um, of listening to these professionals, listening to, uh, uh, you know, across the country, listening to doctors and, and making better decisions for the sake of our school kids. We're going to take a break. We'll have more after this. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. The San Juan Daily Star reported that an employee survey of Puerto Rico Department of Education teachers this past December found that 33,000 of the 37,546 total staff and teachers wanted to be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2. After nearly a year of all virtual instruction, U.S. Virgin Island schools will move certain students into a hybrid model of both in-person and virtual learning starting next month, according to Education Department uh, officials there. The Virgin Islands Daily News is also reporting that their hybrid instructional plan allows students in pre-K through third grade, as well as students in special ed, and in their second year of career and technical education to resume in-class learning full-time and or for certain days of the week, depending on their district. Blended learning is expected to begin in the Northern Marianas on February 3rd, with the public school system students there to attend two days of face-to-face classes and two days of remote or online learning weekly. While in Guam, a hybrid is underway. Most of the 40 public schools will do two online days and split cohorts of students over two days and a support day on Fridays. Now, um, uh, just a couple of observations on on that. I I, I was at a recent uh, tr- school training or orientation for my kid. I have a kid in middle school going to Inarahan Middle School in Guam, which is down in the south. And uh, I was at the training, and I just want to share a couple of things that I found from it. First off, the training was super well organized. Uh, you know, you get in there, you sign in. You kind of go through the motion of, okay, um, the date and time. Obviously, that is to ensure contact tracing. And then uh, you're sitting in a gym, uh, open-air gym, which was, um, and all the the seats were just for two, no more than three chairs, and they were all uh, six feet apart. It was plenty of space in the gym uh, for the the students who are um, going back to school. And the training was very thorough from the very beginning, the principal of the school, uh, talking about um, ensuring the safety of all the kids to reassure that the process is going to be, well, very gradual 
and we hope to get more kids on campus. And if everything goes well, we'll try to add more and more kids uh, to the mix. They had a great uh, video that they showed as well. I think they're distributing it across the um, school website, the school's Facebook page. It's just to kind of help parents uh, know that once their kid is either dropped off at the school, they walk in, or they're on a bus, uh, that they're, um, what that process is when they go right to the classroom. And then they uh, take it a step further, which uh, I will say that the video was pretty darn good, uh, showed even what the classrooms look like, which for, for many parents, uh, you don't get a chance to do that in middle school. I think sometimes we just kind of let our kids go and then say, hey, uh, good luck to you. Uh, but it was a very, uh, very well done, uh, including how they all will go to the bathroom, which I think they've limited uh, bathroom use to um, no more than two people at a time, uh, down to uh, having lunch and the process for lunch and the, the direction of, you know, that's probably the only time that the kids can take off a mask uh, to eat their lunch, put it back on, and then uh, everyone's separated. Just, the, you know, the, the normal fist bump, the, the foot bump to, to let the kids know that, hey, uh, you know, this is how you'll do things. And the video was well done. Uh, most, if not all, of the instructors were present. There was a, a handful of them of the school that weren't there. Obviously, there's still some kids taking online. Uh, at at uh, this particular middle school in Guam, um, my understanding was that there was only, uh, let's say, um, I think 100 students were, had opted to return. Uh, I, I think that's probably maybe a little bit high. But there was only you know 50% of the kids at school at any given time. So... Uh, just to put it in perspective, uh, at least the, the, the classroom sizes would be just a bit smaller. So the training was it was well attended. Um, the, they answered a lot of questions for, for parents. Uh, they, they were able to give the schedules out to the kids doing uh, face-to-face. Uh, obviously, when you have two, uh, two days, Monday and Tuesday, you're uh, in a classroom online and then coming down just to keep the expectations uh, kind of uh, at a certain level for the kids. Uh, my... Uh, my youngest daughter, who is attending the middle school, uh, she was all ears, and um, I think she had questions of me after. But we were um, had already been talking to her about returning, and some of the protocols. You know, obviously the mask. We even got her a face shield for the most part. Um, the social distancing. Uh, you know, the whole washing of hands as best you can. We had we spent we spent plenty plenty of time talking about that, but the. Uh, the engagement, I will say, is uh, was key because I think a lot of times I think uh, without uh, engagement of uh, school administrators, it makes it very difficult. Uh, I followed with interest uh, and have been following with interest all the school districts in the territories on how they're engaging their parents, and and some of them are are doing a better job than others. Uh, in some cases, it's just hitting critical mass uh, in the territories. I think the USVI and the Northern Marianas has been kind of hush hush. It's and American Samoa too. Uh, I think because of the fact that they're already struggling to deal with the coronavirus uh, issues in their uh, territories uh, and Puerto Rico as well. That you know, uh, you know, the engagement is a little bit different uh, with a smaller population of kids. Important too is how the rest of this is going to play out for the balance of the year. Was what the orientation was about. So my uh, daughter went to school uh, yesterday. Uh, as of the recording of this podcast, she went to her first day. She got on a bus. Um, the bus really only had three three students on it. Um, they all went to the school. They they she said that they exactly what was in the video happened. She got in class. I think she said in her class particularly, 
uh, there was, uh, I think, six or eight students in the class. I think it was eight students, uh, which, is, uh, which is pretty small. Um, but uh, it was, uh, you know, she was busy with her classwork. And then the rest of her classmates, if they weren't on the, on the calls for the first two days, she was going to regroup with half of them uh, at some point. And she said it was good. I mean, she got to see her teachers. Um, she got to ask questions. Um, oh, yeah, and uh, another great thing, at least for, for Guam, is this particular middle school classroom or middle school classrooms all had laptop computers, which I thought, uh, I mean, it's taken just years just to get textbooks, but to have and, and being able, f- uh, or the school being able to have laptops is a huge deal. I think sometimes uh, people forget that um, that's just not most the most common thing we would see uh, in the territories, but it, it was a very good thing. And uh, she enjoyed her day. You know, she got home. She took off her mask and uh, sanitized it, did all her things, and then got got right back to doing her homework, which I think uh, it's a little bit different, but it breaks up the kind of the monotony of what has been just online learning since uh, around the March time frame. And uh, it's it's an important thing for us to remember as as parents. um, I mean, I know my fatigue is, is through the roof right now in trying to get my head wrapped around, okay, um, taking care of my kids, doing the, even the lunch, you know, the, the, the IT, the whole nine yards. Um, if I can just say one thing to uh, all school teachers out there and administrators and uh, custodians, to, to the cafeteria folks, to librarians, to teacher aides, there's a special place in heaven for you. I will tell you that. All that learning, all that work to do what you do for kids, um, we just—I think we as uh, parents may have taken it for granted for way too long, and the pandemic is really showing us that uh, you are a valuable part of the community and a valuable part of the learning of our kids uh, for the most part. So thank you very much for all that you do to help our kids. Also, uh, one thing I wanted to also bring up. Um, there's an important thing to um, kind of going back full circle from the articles from earlier in the podcast. I found this one quote I want to share with you all. While states have made tremendous strides in expanding school choice, the pandemic revealed a vast unneed met, unmet need for expanded educational options. No child should be denied in-person instruction due to the misinformed decisions of school board majorities. Now, I know that the school board in the territories, um, they're challenged with resources just in general to kind of do things. But uh, important to remember is, uh, is the idea of options. And, and so I think for some of the older teachers, I think they've been struggling. My understanding is they're having a hard time with just, you know, what they were taught to, to how, do I, how do I instruct these young people online? It's not the same as being in front of a, you know of a blackboard that they've they've erased and they've written and they prepared but they're 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 working hard too and i think that's like the, the missing link so that's why i said that they're just doing a f- fantastic job i think their adjustment has been has been just as crazy because uh, just like the kids struggling with the resources w- what do they have i think some of the some of the school teachers some of them don't even have access to the internet or or their broadband was not so great there's been times where they they've struggled early on, but kind of once they got kind of going, it made it a little bit easier. And I think when school boards were probably not just uh, relegated to ours, but probably all across the country, when they're very fast to say, "Okay, we're going to go online," there's that 
idea that there's going to be kids that don't have that. They don't have the access to that. And teachers aren't prepared either. And so um, in our case, we're always up against the, the what do you call that, the, the, the face of a natural disaster, meaning a typhoon or a tropical storm. So we're always prepared. But other places don't have that luxury. And so when they're having to adjust, I can only imagine what parents and the kids are going through to, to get that whole process done and to get them learning. But when we think of getting kids back to school, it is a big deal. Uh, and, and most for the most part, um, you know, what we're seeing in the territories especially, that once the, the CARES money has been injected into these schools, it's now been this process, a slow process of getting kids back. Now, I'm, I haven't even touched on interscholastic sports or other extracurricular activities because right now I don't think teachers, educators, parents alike, we're not ready for that stuff yet. I think there's a rush to in some cases because obviously some of these kids are thinking of college scholarships and the like, but if they can't even deliver the basic education services, uh, getting back to playing a game really is not not very helpful. But again, uh, kids are back to school. It, It can be done the prospect is important for many to do that. If counties across the nation are, are really struggling, I mean, that number uh, earlier in the podcast that we mentioned, it's this idea of, of having, uh, m- you know, more of them get back, you know? Is it really, um, can it be better uh, than uh, the percentage of 58? Can we be, maybe be up to 70%? Whatever the case might be, um, there's important things happening, and all of us should stay tuned and continue to watch the progress that's being made of getting kids back to class, back to school. Hey, uh, teachers, thank you for all that you do. School administrators, thank you for everything that you do as well. And parents, don't give up. Um, you know, it's it's almost there. And kids, good luck to all that you all all that you're doing, especially during these crazy COVID times. That's it. That's all. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this podcast. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. The That's It, That's All podcast is produced by Sean Gamatato. Executive producer is Trisha Gamatato. Hit the subscribe or follow button and leave a review. Thanks for listening.